It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Talman Paisi, Chief Executive Officer for Rockwood Service Organization and their affiliated companies, including Accurant. Tal leads a staff of 5,000 employees in the provision of materials engineering, inspection, and rope across industrial services through 90 offices across the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. He has been with Accurant since 1981 and became CEO in December of 2019, right before the COVID-19 pandemic. He has broad experience in materials engineering, non-destructive testing, and visual inspection. Tal has his Bachelor of Science degree in Metallurgical Engineering from the University of Alberta, where he also achieved his MBA. He resides with his family in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and manages the global operation of the company from there. Talman Paisi, welcome into the corner office. Thank you. Happy to be with you. Ah, great to have you here. And, you know, we spoke a couple of weeks ago and always kind of like to get a good check in. Gosh, we're going into almost a year now with our COVIDian times. And uh, how are you doing personally, your family and your company through these uh, you know, somewhat challenging times for all industries? Yeah, it's certainly been an interesting time to be my first year as CEO. We had yeah. uh, a really great first quarter. Things were looking pretty good. But um, starting in that last week of March, uh, the world changed and yes. we've all been feeling it. I think um, you know, it's been tough for a lot of people and employees and even family yeah. members just sort of dealing with the uncertainty and the fear and anxiety that comes from from yeah. this pandemic. Um, yeah. I've certainly done fine. Uh, I'm healthy. My yeah. wife's healthy. My kids are, are all fine. Uh, we've, we've had no um, serious uh, illness in the company. We, we've great. had a lot. We've had COVID, of course, and we've had to yeah. deal with these things. Uh, yeah. The business volume is down and that brings its own challenges. Of course. Of course. Have you had to go through layoffs and do some you know, furloughing and so forth? Or have you been able to kind of manage through the process, so to speak? Unfortunately, we did have to take some cost actions, some temporary and some permanent. The government of Canada and the U.S. both have different programs and we certainly did our best to minimize the cost impact to our employees where we could and in some cases we supported healthcare costs and even had a foundation to offer assistance to employees in difficult situations. 
Awesome. Well, that's good to hear. Well, listen, uh, we like to start off and learn a little bit about your early years. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was like, Tom. Sure. Um, I was born in Lethbridge, Alberta. I've spent my whole life in Alberta. I came to the Edmonton area uh, in grade three and um, was part of a large family, uh, had great parents, always got along well with my parents, had... Uh, how many brothers and sisters? Four sisters and one brother. So oh my gosh. Pretty big, big household. Family. Yeah. The yeah, cookies yeah. didn't make it out of the oven before they were <laughs> gone. And you had a self-made hockey team, right? <laughs> I love it. And mom and dad, what type of business were they in? Mom sounds like she was probably pretty busy in the home bringing up all those She kids. was. She did a yeah. lot. You know, she taught piano. She uh, sewed. She cooked. She, you know, she did a lot of things to help raise a large family. My dad right. was a chartered accountant and he oh, was yeah. uh, in a, a government role, a fairly senior government role in the audit, auditor general's office. And that right. was his career with the government. Right. Where were you in the pecking order? I was the uh, fourth. Fourth. Okay. So pr pretty much in the middle. Huh? Pretty close to the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And what's the age range between the youngest and the oldest? Oh, that's a tough question. I, uh, <laughs> my brother is five years older than me. He's the oldest. Yeah. And my youngest sister's probably four years younger. So yeah, a bit of a nine, spread. Nine, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, you know, what were some of the things you remember growing up? I mean, dad, obviously a professional mom working from home. Were there any specific lessons that were taught that, uh, you know, particularly in such a big household that you kind of remember and, you know, put in place in your own life as you've grown your family? Yeah, we were, um, you know, we were uh, devout Christians, and we um, certainly went to church every week. We, yeah. uh, my my dad was um, an athlete. We, sports and games was always part of our life. Um, all, all of us did wow. different things. Uh, my dad and I were both uh, basketball players. Nice. Um, he's uh, very competitive in games and hearts and, you know, try to get us to play bridge all the time that none of us <laughs> they made it to that level, but, uh, things like that. Um, what else did we, we always had a family vacation, pretty family centered. Um, we, you know, we were, I wouldn't say we were wealthy by any stretch, but we, I never really wanted for much. I think we were yeah. well looked after and we, but we, we would always have a summer vacation as a family yeah. that was uh, enjoyed. Has faith been a pretty important part of your upbringing as well and something that you've you know carried forward from those early days? It has, and I've yeah. bring, brought that to my family. Um, yes. We're uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and it's pretty uh, active yeah. involvement yeah. where you're involved in all kinds of things, providing right. service. right. One of my very first guests uh, was a guy by the name of Tom Dixon. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but uh, very active in in the Mormon church. And he was the founder of Blendtec. And uh, he was our fourth or fifth CEO. Great guy. Had a wonderful conversation. And we talked a little bit about his mission work, which was uh, pretty fascinating. But I'll, I'll let you go and listen to his podcast. It's, he's got a great story behind that. What about school? Was that important to you? Were you a good student growing up? No? You know, I, I played school sports. Um, I was an okay student. I was pretty good always in math science. Uh, yeah. In fact, quite strong marks in math science, social English, not not so much. And uh, um, so I, I, you know, made my way through fine. In high school, I started to recognize that marks matter and probably put a little bit more effort in to make sure I could 
get into engineering. It was a right. bit of a high bar to get into engineering yeah. at the local university. Yeah. So I had to pick it up a little bit, but I, I still did it by getting 60s in social English and 90s in math science. So <laughs> I, I had a spread there. That's awesome. And were you uh, involved in entrepreneurial things growing up? You know, in the in the U.S., you know, kids typically have the ubiquitous paper route or, you know, the lawn mowing, you know, things. Maybe it's snow shoveling, I would imagine, up in Alberta. But, uh, you know, what were the types of things that kept you busy uh, to earn that spending money? Yeah, I, I had a lot of those. So <laughs> I, yeah. I always, I worked, you know, since, I was thinking on this, I worked since grade six and I started wow. a paper route. And so I had a paper route in grade six and seven and then eight and nine i worked at a local store called the pop shop where we would unload trucks full of pop and, and <laughs> stack them up and and uh, take the empties back in the truck and so i did that for a couple of years um and then a buddy and i created a little bit of a landscaping well landscaping's a stretch we mowed lawns and and weeded <laughs> gardens so we right. sent out flyers and had enough work to keep us busy in the summer. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then, you know, remarkably, and I suppose this is where we'll talk about my career a little bit, is I I started working for the company I'm at today in grade 11, so 40 years oh, no ago. Kidding. Yeah, wow. this is, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And and uh, I know that you're technically CEO of two organizations, Rockwood Service as well as uh, Acuron. Are they is, is Rockwood Services a different organization or it's a holding company? Is that how it's structured? Yeah, I think of Rockwood Service Corporation as a holding company. There's about right. 10 or 12 brands under that company okay. for various reasons as we've made acquisitions. We've generally changed them over time to Acuron Group and uh Right. And in some cases, for various reasons, we've kept yeah. the brand separate. Yeah. Well, well, we'll get to more of that in a, in a few minutes, but I want to cover some of your early history. University of Alberta, you did both your uh, uh, metal metallurgical engineering degree as well as your MBA, and it looks like about a 10-year uh, gap in between. Um, did, did most of your siblings go on to college? Was that expected growing up? Pretty good mix. Uh, yeah. My brother is a school teacher and a um, couple of my sisters took accounting type uh, schooling. Uh, but I, f for whatever reason, and I, I, you know, I can't honestly point to it. I, I always knew I would go to university. Yeah. And uh, from early on, I kind of had that sort of set in my mind. Right. And, and right. I planned to go. And, and was it always the University of Alberta or did you take a look at other universities? The, the college system's a little bit different in, in Canada, tend to be a lot larger, right? In terms of the populace. Um, but People tend to go locally more, I think, right? Is that kind of what led you there or, or was it one of the better engineering schools? It's certainly convenient. It's cost effective. Yeah. And sure. University of Alberta is a very good school. Um, at that time, some of the, we do use, you're right, we use the term college and university a little different can in the U.S. Right, but at right. that time, the colleges were largely trades oriented and the universities were, so they were two-year programs and the university right. was four-year programs. So University of Alberta for engineering seemed to be, um, a, you know, a good choice for me. Yeah. I did uh, certainly consider, you know, playing basketball, although in the end, I I never did. I was sort of marginal on that anyway. I, if I made the team, I'd probably sit the bench most of the time. But <laughs> that was a factor for a while I was thinking about. Right. Now, Hanson uh, Materials Engineering, uh, I note, is your first uh, employer. Now, did, did they become a part of the Acuron organization or Rockwell? 
Um, or was that a separate organization when you began working for them during your school? Yeah, the roots do go up to Acurin. Yeah. So there's two yeah. acquisitions since I started and right. uh, ending right. with uh, Acurin. Awesome. So kind of started in the technical area by doing project engineering. Tell us a little bit about some of those early jobs. Well, the early jobs were quite interesting. You know, the the first one, grade 11. So this is a yeah. summer job, six, right. six, $6 right. an hour, I recall. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I was heat treating and it was fascinating that, you know, what you can do with metals, learning that the difference between hardness and toughness and chemistry and I was torch hardening metals to make the outer surface hard with the yeah. inner being soft. And so anyway, it, it was interesting. It was, uh, you know, I was the grunt. So I did a lot of the cleaning yeah. and the tougher labor jobs, but uh, I learned a lot. I got dirty and uh, it was pretty interesting. It was a nice job. It was my, uh, at the time, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, her, her right. mother was the payroll clerk. And so she oh. got me an interview and I got my first job. And I'm sure she made sure you got paid on time. She did. And she reminds <laughs> she reminded me every day till the, she passed away a couple of years ago, but she reminded oh, me every day till then that uh that she got my job. <laughs> so you got your start. Oh, I love that. And when did you start managing people? Uh was that um a little bit later on or or in your project engineering or post your MBA? When when did that start? Uh, um, I did go through co-op engineering, which means you work uh, longer summers. You work eight months, go to school four months. And so right. I, I had little bits of management, you know, the lab manager would go on a four week vacation and manage the lab, but yeah. really yeah. in earnest, it was post-graduation. I graduated in about 87, around right. 1990, I was managing a small division with yeah. uh, six or yeah. eight people. Yeah. What was those early days like? Were you managing people about your same age, older, combination of both? Generally older, yeah. And so, yeah, it had challenges. I, uh, you know, probably one of the biggest ones I remember early on, I was managing this visual inspection department and mm. there's some um, older fellows in there who had, you know, a lot of experience. And so there's a good opportunity for me to learn from them, but I'm in this position of managing them. And we were we went on a project to Japan. They were there for probably six months uh, mm -hmm. overseeing a pipe order for a large uh, oil company and, and they had issues. And so I went over for a month and, and I, I really had a hard time because yeah. they were sort of abusive to the, to the vendor. And, and I just mm. didn't like the way they were treating people. And so, yeah. you know, these are some of my early experiences with seeing yeah. how uh, the world works and how people are treated. And, and so that affected me for sure. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, it's so easy to talk about, oh, you know, great mentors that showed me this and did that, et cetera. But, you know, we learn a lot also by observing others and the kind of things not to do. Um, what, what were some of those takeaways? I mean, again, not to get specific of any of the people involved, but, you know, what were the things that you saw that you said, you know, gosh, I never want to do that? I think I've always been sensitive to bullying. I, I, yeah. I've never been bullied myself, but I've mm. seen it and I didn't like it. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, I, I definitely um, realized there's a better way to deal with people. And um, I had a hard time convincing them of a different way. In fact, you know, when we got back, um, a, a couple of them, it just was so bad that the company decided to fire him. But, I, mm. you know, it really, uh, it certainly impacts me to see that yeah. people, 
treat people need to be treated with dignity and respect That's regardless. Right. Regardless. Yeah. Whether they're suppliers, vendors, employees, you know, outside. Yeah, absolutely. What other um, types of, you know, if you look back at those early years, what other types of leadership lessons did you, you take away that you think have really helped you today or have stuck with you through those years? Yeah, I did have, you know, I, I do think a really important part of my early career was being able to, you know, the fact that I worked at the company before I graduated from engineering for about five, six years. And, and I worked with a lot of technical experts. And so I, I gained, first of all, a real appreciation for the talent, the skill, the work ethic of, of a lot of the the field workers, the guys in coveralls. And I, I did, I really benefited from working with some guys who had been around for a long time, really understood the technology and they wanted to teach me. They, I, I mm. asked a million questions. They liked to answer them. I would take the instruments to my hotel room at night and sort of play <laughs> with them and try to learn more. And, cool is that? And yeah. I think they liked that I didn't mind climbing the pipe rack and they could stay yeah. on the ground. And so anyway, I learned a lot from these guys technically. Pulling up your sleeves, right? And being that, a part of the team. Work ethic, yeah. but also the importance of getting the results right. What were some of the, you know, earlier challenges that you've had? I mean, you know, you've had several positions. You were a general manager for years, you know, chief offering, chief operating officer for the Canadian business. And then, you know, kind of uh, quickly uh, from that position up to the CEO, you know, if, if you look at, you know, your, your, the span of your career and where I identify some of the, you know, the biggest challenges you've had, were they people oriented challenges? Were they engineering type? Are you facing them today? You know, with the pandemic again, totally outside of your control, help us understand a little bit of that. Yeah. I think, um, with a large workforce, you, things can get out of control easily. Mm-hmm. And how, how many total employees? There's about well, uh, 5,000 pre-COVID. Wow. I guess we'll get back yeah. to that, but it's certainly right. more than 4,000 this year. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it, it takes one or two employees to make mistakes or to have a safety incident or to upset a customer. And so this is really, um, you know, becomes cultural of how do you sure. develop a culture where people want to do a good job. Yeah. Yeah. And um, have you found that um, resolving some of those people issues have taken certain skills maybe that, you know, have have been faith based or, you know, perhaps again, (laughs) learning from your experiences and going to Japan? You know, what, 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 what have you kind of gone back to when you've encountered some of those issues? For sure, you have to lead by example. So you can't tell people that safety is important. And then you know, drive a hundred miles an hour in your car past them on the way home from work, you know, <laughs> right, it doesn't right. work. So, so, yeah. uh, setting an example is important. I think, uh, um, recognizing the importance of integrity and mm. uh, being honest and straightforward because you can't, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't walk by from, uh, walk past, not telling the truth. So can't fake it. People, yeah, that... people want to know that, but, but also culturally, you know, as you want to, if you want to change culture a little bit, you need to um, uh, talk about it often, share examples mm. and stories and get to the why it's important. You can't just mm. tell people, you know, we have to do this. You, right. you have to tell them why it's important to to them and to the company. And, and so, you know, these are areas that I think you have your best shot at changing the masses. And for sure, um, as you develop that culture, it's it's kind of like herd immunity, I guess, as we learned from right. COVID world, you get this 
uh, people who are not bystanders and they care about others and they'll help make sure others are safe and, and yeah. others are doing good work. So Right. Right. No, that's absolutely key. Um, you know, you, you had mentioned about culture and, uh, you know, that's such an important thing, you know, I know in my business and I think you and I briefly spoke about this the other day that, you know, at the end of the day, you can find, you know, a hundred, if not, you know, a thousand people that might make the qualifications for a job, but really understanding if they're going to be someone who fits your company culture and, you know, can perform well over time and, and advance there. Tell us a little bit about your company culture. How would you describe it? You know, do you have your mission statements and vision statements, or is it kind of more of a code as it relates to, um, you know, when you think about the, the, the culture at Acuron, give us a little sample of that. Sure. Um, you know, given that we're in the inspection business, you know, what we yeah. do is inspect the equipment for customers. And, and so our customers are in the integrity business of their assets. Of and so we, yeah. you know, we're yeah. the last line of defense and making sure yeah. these defects don't go out into the, into production. So, you know, we, I think we have a really strong culture around integrity and quality and the importance of getting it right. Mm. Um, we also have, you know, there's, there's a couple areas that I think are quite telling about companies. We, we do a lot of acquisitions. I speak to many companies. We probably right. buy four a year on average. And, wow. and as I talk to these companies, there's a couple indicators of really good culture. And I think it's something we have at Acuron is, uh, first of all, safety performance. So, right. um, you know, there's some metrics you measure safety by. Our injury frequency rate is 0.12, which is really world-class. Um, wow. And, and it means more than people working safe. It means you have a company where people can follow rules and that they mm. care about um, their fellow workers. They care about the new guy who doesn't understand the risks of a job. And so, you know, a, a strong safety culture is, is quite telling about a company. And another area we've sort of found is accounts receivable, you know, collecting mm. your cash. And right. it sounds like, yeah, that's yeah, just a financial metric. Why do you worry about that? I think companies that collect their cash probably have good billing processes. They mm -hmm. probably mm -hmm. have good relationships with their customers because customers yeah. don't want to not pay you if you're doing a good job and you show up on time and you give them the report on time and you deliver what they're looking for. So, you know, these are indicators. And I think these are two examples of areas we have pretty good culture on. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, you know, you'd mentioned you became CEO right at the beginning of the pandemic, challenging times, but you've been with a company plus 20 years and, you know, have obviously had various levels of responsibility. Did, did you have your eye on the corner office? Did you think someday you'd be running things? You know, I've always um, had pretty good mobility. I, you know, someone might ask, how on earth could you work for the same company for 40, 40 years? <laughs> right? and I was being generous. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the reality is we've not been the same company. We've grown, right. you know, 15% yeah. a year for 40 years, but Amazing. we've also, um, I've grown, I've had new jobs every few years and new opportunities to learn. And if I was you know, I was in the same COO job for for Canada for about 12, 15 years, but so much had changed through the growth and, yeah. and the opportunities. And I- Well, I, and acquisitions too, and right? Acquisitions, I mean, you were, sure. you were, preserved, were you pur purchasing three to four companies a year pretty much at that time too? Uh, yes. Uh, our, our acquisitions have been relatively small, but they're uh, accretive and they add new talent and new things. And so yeah. it's been a lot of change, but I this is something I- 
tell my kids or, you know, my son in particular, we've had a lot of discussions about, but if, you know, if you're not learning something new in your job, you, you might want to look for a new job because <laughs> yeah, it's right. either going to get boring or you're going to get stagnant. Tell us a little bit about, and I'm just curious because I, you know, working in recruiting, a lot of times we get called in when there are mergers and acquisitions or divestures, right? Because there's always usually management change that takes place of that. The integration of that many companies on an annual basis ongoing, it, it you must have a really well-established process in place. Now, without revealing any secrets, can you tell us a little bit about that? How 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 are you successful in, in integrating those three or four companies? Because, you know, they'll have diverse cultures. They'll be different. They're probably mom and pop shops as well and sole proprietors and maybe family businesses. And um, how do you go about integrating them and then making them a part of your culture? Sure. Well, you know, First of all, we haven't done a lot of transformational acquisitions, but there have mm. been two. In fact, the you know the the Canadian business that I was part of was acquired by the U.S. business that was about the exact same size back in 1997. So huh. you know, U.S. and Canada became two great companies put together, and so clearly that's a cultural issue and a lot yeah. of integration required. And there's been one or two other large ones, um, but most of these. I think something like 47 acquisitions in the last 30 years. Most of those acquisitions are relatively small and where they're most successful is, uh, well, a couple of things. First of all, we generally buy good companies. We've not bought wounded companies that need a workout. We bought companies that have good management that want to stick around. They have nice customers that appreciate their work. And so um, that's one thing. Second is, We've connected them to strong regions that mm. run a good business and and are welcoming them and and showing them the way and and we, you know it, it can take a year or two to change their systems or to you know bring on a, a change to their safety program but for the most part we're buying good companies that get partnered with a, a strong regional manager who's uh, supporting them to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, that makes good sense. And uh, with some of those major transformations, particularly the U.S. and the Canadian one that you referred to, um, did you have an internal organization that, you know, kind of led the way in terms of that integration? Did you work with outside consultants? Um, you know, how, how, how did you kind of do that one plus one equals three, <laughs> which it sounds like it's been accomplished? Yeah, I think um, the the large ones, you know, we've Pretty much, well, in in all cases, we've found our own, own way on this. Um, mm-hmm. I think Canada and the U.S. had run fairly s- separately for many years. Yeah. You know, it mm-hmm. it took twenty years to create more integration, and it, you know, it's really in the last few years that we've um, taken a, a larger, more significant effort to integrate and standardize across North America. Right. But, um, you know, for the most part, they're both great companies and, and we would pick our spots. We would want to pick, um, risk management contract review as an important area. We pick safety as an important area to standardize and develop best practice. But, you know, other things, if, if it didn't matter, you know, it didn't matter. We allow for entrepreneurial leadership to grow and, and support and drive their uh, businesses in their respective markets. Is the U.S. business um, reporting into you? Is there a co-CEO? How do you kind of manage that uh, at this point in time after that after that integration? Yeah, it's uh, since um, January of 2020. I'm the CEO of, of 
the whole business, which includes the US, Canada, and the UK. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I, I replaced you myself in Canada. That. There's a, yeah. a, a new uh, executive vice president for Canadian operations and an EVP for US operations. For US operations. Got it. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you've got to structure that way. You know, I've, I've heard recently said that some CEOs are uncomfortable with having their questions or rather having their answers questioned rather than their questions answered, you know, and, and as a new CEO, and I'm sure, you know, a young one at that and working with some folks that have probably have been there longer, et cetera. Um, how do you kind of adapt to that? Has that been a challenge for you? Have you been able to, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, take, take on those people who perhaps have a, maybe have a bit of, bit of a different view with regards to how to run things, particularly during this pandemic? Yeah. I, um, well, first of all, I, I certainly like my questions answered, so I would keep asking. <laughs> say, okay, <laughs> that's nice, but you didn't answer my question. But I, yeah. I do not mind my uh, being questioned, and I think uh, I'm generally quite collaborative. I don't think people are scared of me. Um, mm -hmm. I, uh, I'm happy to debate and, and talk through things. Uh, obviously, you know, there becomes a point in time when decisions have to be made and you got to get on the bus. But sure. um, for the most part, I, I welcome the questions because I, I think it holds us in check and we, you know, we need to, uh, I, I respect the view and the opinions of the yeah. people in the company. Do you have a relatively, you know, young management or executive team? Are there folks that have been there, you know, for example, longer than you? Or have there been, you know, kind of a, a good mixture, I would say, of folks that have different levels of experience in your C-suite? Yeah, I, I have nine direct reports. Um, wow. There's one guy a little older than me, but we're close. Um, I think the, um, I, I guess... We're all pretty young. <laughs> we've, yeah. we've all got yeah. some years to us. Interestingly enough, uh, informing, you know, that a lot of organizational change with me taking the role. Um, I've hired some three new people on the senior executive wow. team, um, yeah. created a little bit of diversity on the senior team with two women for the first time on the executive wow. level. And, yeah. um, but three of them, the three people hired this year, I, I only met one of them in person for one interview wow. before COVID yeah. lockdown. I, yeah. I have an apartment in Houston. I'm, I'm living in Edmonton, Alberta, and I haven't been to Houston since March last year. March of last year. And yeah, since then, right. I've hired a CFO, I've hired a VP wow. sales, a chief HR, and I, I haven't seen them. That's crazy. Now, how have you how have you done that? Particularly, you know, as we talked earlier about hiring against culture, are there specific questions and areas that you've probed? Do you do assessment tests? You know, because there's you know high risk, and you know we're all having to deal with that now with remote hiring. There's, I, I will tell you, you know, I do I do between fifteen and twenty searches a year. Almost everyone in the last year has been remote, where I haven't even met the client if they hadn't been a, a new client, let alone having met the final candidate. And many of my clients haven't met their placements, uh, you know, and, and some of them are working for them still and have not met face to face. So, um, yeah, how do, you, how do you get at that? How do you get at that cultural piece? Sure. Well, we... Um we have recruiting, you know, several recruiters in the company with a large dispersed workforce uh, yeah. working on a lot of the technical uh, spots. But at the uh, at the senior level, we do use search firms. Um, right. I, I I'm a believer in many interviews, so I, I think yeah. people respond differently to different levels of the organization. You know, I've heard right. I've interviewed people who seem like you know so um, polite and and uh, uh, appreciative, and then 
they, they would interview with a subordinate and mm. they would tell me how chippy they were, you know? <laughs> so yeah. anyway, I, yeah. I, I'm a believer in multiple interviews, uh, for some of the most senior jobs we have, um, used external agencies to do these deep, uh, you'd be familiar with them as a recruiter. That, Assessments and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, yeah. these, these six to eight hour interviews, it's like that, a graphic, it's, yeah. it's sort of like this call with for eight hours long, <laughs> you know, <laughs> get into the Good. detail. Um, and, uh, you know, as I, as I talk to them, uh, of course there's requisite skills and experience that are required for these positions. So we, you know, make sure that those boxes are crossed, but yeah, I'm largely looking for interpersonal skills, um, right. uh, ideas and, and their thoughts around how, what opportunities they might see for the company. You know, yeah. Those are yeah. good areas to probe. How do you decide if it's time to, you know, micromanage someone or, or stay out of their sandbox? Um, I guess it would depend on the importance of the matter. I think you're yeah. all familiar with the Stephen Covey matrix of sure. important and urgent, uh, uh, four box grid. I, you know, I, I like to be able to go deep when I want to. And mm. if I, if something doesn't seem right, or if I just want to learn myself more of the details so that, um, I can feel good about the decisions we're making, I, would like to go deep, but I also, you know, I'm, I'm generally uh, happy to delegate and happy to see leadership, um, you know, make decisions and make recommendations. I can imagine that you get involved, of course, deeply with many of those direct reports uh, that you've talked about, and you, you've changed out a good portion of your C-suite. It sounds like about a third, you know, over the last year during COVID. Um, but you probably get involved from time to time with interviews kind of down the line of succession, right? Maybe it's one of your direct reports or, you know, it's an important hire in a new group and they want to have your opinion. But, you know, you maybe spend only five or 10, 15 minutes with them, right? Maybe it's just a brief call. You don't go as deep. It, when you have those type of situations and, you know, your team is looking for, you know, kind of your blessing, so to speak, on this hire because it's an important strategic move. What do you ask? What do you look for? How, you know, what kind of questions would you put that candidate through um, in that type of an interview scenario where, you know, you may only have 15 or 20 minutes with them? Yeah, I definitely like to get a feel for them as a person, understand mm -hmm. a little bit about what interests them, what aspirations they have. I, yeah. I definitely like the question around, you know, what opportunities they see for us. It really shows their mm -hmm. thought process, but also, you know, the amount of work they've done to understand our business a little better. Sure. And I, yeah. I, I learn a lot by answering questions they have actually. Yeah. Yeah. And is there uh, certain, you know, uh, areas that you like to probe when you kind of get into the, you know, the personal side of things? Like, for example, are you asking them, you know, how to problem solve or maybe get to specific areas about, you know, how they've maybe dealt with some of the things that they've had in the past? You know, how do you how do you kind of get at that that level of, of their, you know, their thinking skills, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah, um, it, it is hard. Um, reference checking is it's much more uh, informative, in my view, mm. on how they treat other people. But yeah, yeah, but um, certainly in in terms of uh, those types of questions, I would say they're a little bit more dependent on the role. So in in many cases, yeah. including operational management, 
I would want to understand their connection with customers and their, mm. you know, their personal relationship with customers, whether they, they go see them, whether they get on the phone with yeah. them, uh, yeah. you know, of course, salespeople, that's what they do. But operations people, there's a lot of operations people in the world that, that don't see customers. They just that's right. you know, uh, t- uh, t- send people on jobs and tell them to see customers. So yeah. anyway, yeah. That, that customer interaction is important for a lot of the roles. Each one would be a little different though, I would right. expect. Right, good. Well, you've been very generous with your time. We've got a couple more questions and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up and let you get back to it. But, you know, there's obviously a lot of speculation about what's ahead. You know, will, will we be in a post-COVID world or in a co-COVID world? Who knows? And, you know, you mentioned that, of course, there's been some, you know, hits, obviously, to you. Looking at Acuron and, you know, where you're moving forward, you know, what, what's changing? Are you more of a remote organization and think you will be moving forward? Uh, are there different safeguards? You know, you'd mentioned about the importance of what you do, you know, the inspections. It, it's, it's so aligned with the integrity of what your customers need uh, from you. And, and you know, uh, without that face-to-face contact, uh, sometimes that's difficult right to be able to evaluate that so you know are there are there changes that you're making or do you anticipate changes in terms of you know how you'll be operating in the years ahead or are we hoping that things will move back to normal you know what you look in your crystal ball Tao, what do you what would you say yeah there, there, there's some obvious learnings i'm sure we've all had that uh, uh, remote meetings can be effective mm-hmm. um the uh proliferate Proliferation of products like Zoom is uh, impressive. Uh, companies are able to communicate effectively with their customers and with each other, and so you know, I, I think that's an obvious change. I um, I think that many of our customers are challenged. I, I don't think they're impaired. Uh, you know, we work for uh, pulp and paper and power mm. and refineries and pipelines, and you know, many of these customers uh, have been challenged by COVID. And uh, and equally challenged by you know Canadian and U.S. governments that are right. leaning more towards regulation and green uh, paths, and so right. um, I I think that there's uh, an opportunity to use technology to um, improve the cost effectiveness of all services, mm. and so mm. how do we? Um, um, do more remote analysis. These are things we've worked yeah. on for years. How do we mm. look at machine learning? How do we uh, improve the way uh, people are trained uh, from an efficiency perspective? So this is very much a focus of mine is how we can help our yeah. customers to be more cost effective in their businesses. Yeah. And I think yeah. a lot of this COVID has um, brought things to light. I, I was to talking focus, with yeah. an executive at an oil company early days COVID, and he told me that they were operating their refineries at a um, level similar to what they did on Christmas Day in terms of site people. Wow. And wow. and he sort of thought about how much of that might not come back. Yeah, And, yeah. and I think that's a, a message to us all that there can be more efficient ways of Right. doing things. So I, yeah. our, our travel budget will drop in the future, I'm sure, <laughs> but, but there'll be other areas I think that'll yeah. come into play. Yeah. 
Great time. Last question. Um, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you have for someone that maybe is mid-career, maybe like you, they've been long-term at the company, maybe they've got their eyes on the corner office. And, you know, what would you tell them in terms of, you know, uh, the kinds of things that they should be thinking about and planning for if, if they truly, you know, want to make it to the C-suite or, or run that organization themselves? Sure. Um, it's a good question. One that people do ask. <laughs> so right. um, sure. I, I do have a few go-to things uh, that I would uh, tell my kids or any employees. Um, the, you know, the first one, as I did mention it earlier, is, you know, if you're not progressing, you know, think about whether you're in the right job and whether you need yeah. to look for a change. Yeah. Um, second one, it, it ought to be intuitive and obvious, but sadly it's not, is, you know, figure out what your boss or your client needs to be successful and and help mm. them you know help them succeed mm. this uh there's a book raving fans deliver what they need plus one percent or something but you know yeah. figure it out and then uh for sure servant leadership is an important thing I, a, anyone who thinks moving up means uh you get to boss people around and life is easier is is sadly mistaken there's right. sort of right. this no room for scarcity mentality you got to help people out and um Lastly, I'd say, you know, set some goals for yourself, but mm. communicate that goals, those goals with your company so that you yeah. can create some alignment on them and yeah. that you can hold each other accountable to, to working towards those goals. Yeah. Talman Paisi, Chief Executive Officer at Rockwood Service Corporation and Acuron. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.